Coming up this week, off screen. It's morphing time with the Power Rangers. Charlie Hunnam takes us in search of the lost city of Zed. Michael Pena hits the road in chips. Things get dark in the eyes of my mother. We visit the Aquarius. Wartime drama befalls another mother's son. We sit in on the autopsy of Jane Doe. And it's a game of spies in the age of shadows. Always coming more off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Cott. I am Case Allen. Welcome back, Mr. Allen, of course. And usual welcome back round to you, of- sir. Yeah, welcome. It's a usual <laughs> round of... Welcomes all round. Welcomes all round. Everyone's welcome. We, we're, we're not an exclusionary show. We welcome all. No, this is not It's not a Donald Trump show. No, it's not at all. It's not. <laughs> really, we, we made it one minute and 19 seconds before taking that is the shot. That's a new record. That really is. Yeah. So, film news, film reviews, box office top ten, all the usual fun. Kick us off with some news good, sir. Um, so you like an actor by the name of Robert Downey Jr. I, I am partial to his work, I will admit. Yeah. You, well, you know, you are partial to his work, his facial hair, his career, the cars he drives, the way he talks, his music taste. The fact that he wears uh, sneakers with suits. Has his, his sunglasses. Payshon for indoor sunglasses. Yes, okay, all right, I'll admit. You model m- at most most things you do. Okay, yeah, okay, I'll go with that. He is something of, 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 a, of a, a, a visual icon to me, yes. Somewhat, yeah. Somewhat. So would it please you to know that he has a new project lined up and it is a remake of Doctor Doolittle? No, 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 I'm sorry. I won't stand for this. I'm sick and tired of Hollywood race-bending these roles. We all know that Doctor Doolittle is a black guy. It is completely incorrect to then cast a white actor as Doctor Doolittle. What on earth are they thinking? The sound you can hear is Rex Harrison turning around in his grave. <laughs> yeah, but- you know the amount of times we've heard the exact opposite of that? <laughs> How dare Johnny Storm be a black guy? <laughs> so there's that. But Tony Stark is going to talk to the animals, sing the animals, talk and walk and squawk the animals, or whatever the song is. I haven't heard that song in many years. Clearly neither, neither I, <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> you know, clearly you know more of the lyrics than I do. Um, as, as, with most, as with most things, though, I got that from The Simpsons. Of course. When well, Chief Wiggum dresses up yeah. like Dr. Zool. I'm, I will admit, I am more familiar, shame, I'm shamefully more familiar with the Eddie Murphy uh, 1998 version than I, I think am so, with, am I, yeah. to be honest. So, to me, a song from Dr. Doolittle is Lady Marmalade by All Saints. Right, um, yeah. Which is something for which I must atone, and I will hang my head in shame much later. If anything else, that film... Um, the film's villain, played by uh, by Oliver Platt. Was he? So, I'd forgotten yeah. that. I do remember that Chris Rock was the hamster, the, ger- the guinea pig. He was the guinea pig, wasn't he? Yes. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's a turn-up, isn't it? That is... RDJ being yeah. Dr. Zootle, and possibly even stranger, the director is the director of Borders Gold, mm-hmm. and... Possibly... A Siriano. Siriano, yeah, well. yeah. Didn't he write Crash as well? Yes. He did write Crash. He also wrote the fictional Stephen, movie... Stephen Gagan. Stephen Gagan. Yeah, he did also Gagan. write the fictional film Median for the actor Vincent Chase. <laughs> of the Entourage. Of the Entourage fame. <laughs> and Vincent Chase's name will come up later because we are reviewing a film starring Emile Hirsch, the real-life Vincent What's Chase. Good? He is, isn't he? He really is the real-life equivalent of Vincent Chase. Um, yeah. So, uh, after Into the Wild, after such promise. I know. Uh, Speed Racer, that's what. 
Cool beans. But yeah. uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> enough niche referencing. Uh, let's talk about the loss of Lizzie. Uh, Lizzie? Zed, sorry. Zed. Is it, is it Zed? It is Zed. Jay-Z. No, no, it is specifically Zed. Jay-Z. Because it is set within the British Empire. Charlie Hunnam, as you will hear in the clip we are playing, is the most British man alive in this. Are you saying that, or is it just the most British he sounded? Because I feel like his accent is... It, it's not convincingly British. To be fair, <laughs> I mean, he still sounds like a wacky like cartoon he's, character. He's got a bit of a Christian Bale about him now, where his accent just can't land. He is the man of a thousand accents and the master of none. Yeah. So, yeah, make of that what you will. He literally, he cannot pull off any single accent. And the weird part is, he is English. I can't figure out yeah. how he I can't think pull it's, off... it's all the time being Jack Teller on Sons of Anarchy. Well, he wasn't convincing with that accent either. No, he's not. <laughs> and, and in Pacific Rim. I never thought about the future. He's the only Those person. Jaegers. Yeah, he's the only yeah. person to say the word future even more messed up than James McAvoy with his future. <laughs> no, I don't want your future. <laughs> but, okay, so Lost City of Zed, um, which is directed by, written and directed by uh, James Gray, who brought us uh, Woman in Black a few years ago, which I actually really liked. I think, particularly on a visual level, I think uh, Woman in Black that had it going on. That was vintage, uh, vintage Hammer, but resurrected for a 21st century audience. I was a big fan. I didn't realise that was James Gray. That was James Gray, wasn't it? Was it really? It was indeed. Oh, yes. Right. Sorry. Um, you had me you, for a moment. You even had me did, second know, guessing. Second guessing that's, myself. That's why I'm here. Don't 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 cause me to shake my unflappable confidence, Mister Allen. <laughs> so okay. So this is uh, based on the novel, well, the non-fiction novel of the same name. Do you know the story behind this? Because I wasn't not really no. I've uh, I've seen the trailers for it and I like the look of it. I did not know the story. I, I'm going to be straight up front about that. I did not know the story. And then you watch the movie and you think you've got to have made some of this up because how could you possibly have known? Mm. You know, it's like <laughs> that movie. Uh, what's the movie with the couple in the water with the sharks? The couple that are adrift in the ocean and there's two sharks circling them. Oh, you know the one where it's yeah. like how you know like if and how, how did this happen? It was apparently based on a true story. Like how would you know mm. they were alone out there? You know, they were alone, they both died, how did you know? Um, similar, similar kind of thing here, where it, it, famously he never returned from the Amazon. This is the case of, well, how do you know that this happened and this happened? Because you, you, you're kind of taking a narrative leap here. So the idea is, he is um, a soldier in the British Army. He is Percy Fawcett, or Fawcett, who is tasked by the Royal Geological Society to go to South America to settle a dispute between Brazil and Bolivia over exactly where their border lies. This is at the height of the British Empire, it's about 1906. Hmm. Okay. By the way, the Royal Geological Society is run by Ian McDiarmid. So, yeah, Emperor Palpatine is sending yeah. Jack Teller off to South America to map the border with the help of uh, Robert Pattinson, who is his go-to uh, wildsman, as it were, his his uh, his man on the his, ground. His walking beard. His walking beard, as yeah. it were. Although, you know, Hunnam does quickly catch up on the beard front. Uh, once there, he also discovers evidence of the lost city of Zed, a civilization that predates Western civilization, which, of course, is met with, you know, laughter, ridicule, complete scepticism, and he basically dedicates the rest of his life to returning to Amazonia, as, he, as it's referred to, and, uh, and, and discovering the lost city and proving his theory right once and for all. However, his family begin to lose faith in him. World War One breaks out. His health takes a turn for Everything that can go no, wrong no, for this no man does. That. No, it doesn't. Need that. I mean, talk about having it stacked against you. Here's a <laughs> clip of, of the kind of ridicule he's in for. I witnessed several archaeological discoveries that I believe may have enormous significance, such as pottery in the jungle, 
where no white man has ever been before. My friend, a word in your ear, please. Um, your, your exploits have opened every door for you. But I would suggest keeping such findings to yourself. Mm -hmm. It is one thing to defend the primitive jungle men. It is quite another to elevate their capacity beyond reason. I mean, no one here would dispute that you believed what you saw, but uh, uh, such a trip is very hard on the mind. Mr. Kelty, I think you should find my mind perfectly fit and still open, thank heavens. So, um, are you prepared to have egg on your face? I, I am very much prepared. Go on, set, set me straight. It was James Watkins that did The Woman in Black. Not James Gray. Not James Gray. James Gray brought us uh, We Own the Night with he did. Marky Mark and Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, The Immigrants with yep. Joaquin Phoenix again. Oh man, this and means I need to change the written review as well. Oh, that's it's just all work, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Well, do you know what? It, this, to be fair, is very, very well directed. It's it's not quite the Indiana Jones like take on this story that you'd hope for. It's actually a lot more somber and a lot more serious. And actually, that's kind of its undoing because it's a real slog of a film. And we are talking a two hour plus ordeal here. I mean, you've got you've got the exact runtime on there, haven't you? I can get it up quite easily. Yeah. I can't remember the exact <laughs> runtime this was. That was a joke you should have made. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> This is, uh, you heard the accent in in the clip. It's it's very much a pomp. I and, I couldn't place it to be honest. You couldn't place it. It's not placed on anything. Uh, two hours and twenty minutes is a two hours twenty. It is a slog. Um, it perks up somewhat once Tom Holland becomes a part of the of the main, central narrative in the third act because obviously this takes place over decades and you do get to see Charlie Hunnam under the under the requisite prosthetic makeup. Um, Hunnam's a bit. He's not quite up to the material to be honest. Pattinson's got about six lines to speak of. Yeah. Um, and really, it comes down to Angus McFadden, a.k.a. you know Braveheart's BFF, and Tom Holland to kind of save it. But really, even they aren't quite up to the time. There's a lot of weight but to But if this. anyone's going to save it, sure, it's going to be Spider-Man. You'd hope so, but yeah. uh, no, not quite. Um, it's interesting. It's visually interesting. The story is interesting enough. The problem is it's written in such a dour, very somber way that it really it drags its ass to the finish line. It really, really does. Um, I kind of hope for more of it. There is apparently a 35mm print of it, though. And I bet it looks I amazing. I bet would look great. I bet it would look yeah. stunning. I, it really would. There is some, some really impressive visual stuff in there. Mm. But uh, it is one, I would say, it's your Sunday afternoon DVD purchase. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those, mm. you're on the couch, post-Sunday dinner, you're going to have a, a bit of a snooze through a film with the missus. It's that kind of a film. We've we've definitely never had a roast dinner and watched a film together because I've I've got a thing about having a Sunday Sunday roast, mm. then watching either Back to the Future, like all three, <laughs> and then watching three Indiana Jones films. I'll leave it up to you to say which three Indiana Jones films. <laughs> I think we could all decide. Actually, I, yeah. I narrow it down to two. I always exclude Temple as well. Really? Yeah. I always watch Temple. Kalima. 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 <laughs> Chilled monkey brains. We've got to watch too, that. We've spent too much time together. We're getting too nerdy. now. <laughs> right, so um, let's let's plug the uh, the podcast edition. If you want the extended version of this show, which this week will include reviews of Another Mother's Son, Ooh. The Age of Shadows, ah. The Eyes of My Mother. Mmm. I, I, I couldn't think of another one. Don't leave me hanging for reactions. Well. And <laughs> The Autopsy of Jane Doe. <gasps> 
There you go. Just a gasp, really. Um, <laughs> then you have that's, to that's all Brian Cox deserves. He's <laughs> got a Neil Hirsch as well. Um, and Ophelia Loverbond. When was the last time you saw her in a film? Great name. Great name. And do you know what? I, I do love me some Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Is Who doesn't great. love Brian Cox? The original Hannibal. The original Hannibal, yeah. His lecture is spelt with a K, did you know? But, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, his lecture is spelt with a K and not a C. It's Anthony Hopkins is one get them to see. Weirdly, it changes in the book as well. But um, that would be like a good question, a quiz. That it's is, like, that's a pub quiz question, yeah, isn't it? It's like how does Hannibal, how is Hannibal like to spell in the man? Yeah, is it man? man, man, man uh, Red Dragon. Man Red Dragon's Red, the okay. uh, book. Manhunter is Manhunter, the book. Manhunter, yeah. Man. That's it, yeah. Uh, yes, so of course, if you want the uh, the extra features, you want the extra reviews, you want the uh, film news and the moment of cage, you've got to download our podcast edition, which is available exclusively online at uh, on iTunes, on Acast, on Deezer, on TuneIn, or on uh, onscreenfilm.com in the off-screen section. But of course, we are also nominated for our very prestigious award. Mm. We've got a gong. <laughs> We've got a gong. Uh, we're nominated for our prestigious award. We are nominated in the inaugural British Podcast Awards for this year. Uh, we're in the TV books and film category, but we are also in the Listener's Choice Award. So cast your vote. Get us this award. We really want this. It's going to be. It's going to look nice on our, our collective shelf. It'll be good. Yeah, I feel like it'd be one of those things where you have it like three days a week, and I have it four, or we each have it three days a week, and then like and have, alternate Sundays, alternate Sundays, alternate Sundays mm. after the after the Sunday roast and the Bad of the Future. After the, yeah, <laughs> the, the handoff happens at the Carvery, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, please go to BritishPodcastAwards.com forward slash vote and and vote for uh, off screen in the uh, in the uh, audience choice. We'd we'd really like this one. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. Well, Mr. Allen, are you ready for me to try and pronounce the name that has been stumping me all week? So you were practising it whilst we weren't recording, yeah. and I feel... I mean, I, I don't want to jinx anything. Touch wood. Uh, but I feel when we start recording, you're going to flub this up something chronic. I'm going I'm to say it now, yeah. just in case I then get it wrong. It is Kleber Mondonko Fio. Smashed it. Thank you. Okay. And just from now on, he is just Kleber. Just and, Kleber. Uh, from now on, just I don't want to risk uh, uh, mis- mispronouncing big and, it. Big and Kleber. So, uh, Kleber is, of course, the director of Aquarius. Can we call him Kleber Lang for the rest of us? Kleber Lang Kleber is, Lang. in fact, he's the Brazilian Rocky villain. <laughs> Uh, Kleber Lang is in fact the director of Aquarius. He was also the director. Remember Neighboring Sounds a few years ago. Uh, yeah, rings a bell. Brazilian movie set in what was the district called? Uh, Recife in Brazil, a very mm. middle class area where he evidently is from, and he's returned to dealing with this area again for this film, which is very much again in his wheelhouse. But uh, this follows, you know, Sonia Braga. The actress Sonia Braga. No. You will probably know her as Rosario Dawson's mum in Luke Cage. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. She was one of the director of Claire, Claire Temple's mum, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, right, she is a 65-year-old retiree, a retired music cr- critic, a, uh, a cancer survivor. She lives in a building known as the Aquarius, a building to which she is very attached. She has sentimental uh, sentimental attachment mm. to. And there is a construction company that is in the process of trying of <laughs> ousting everyone from this building so that they can knock it down and build the new Aquarius. Build it up. Knock it down, raise the new one. And it will be called The New Aquarius. She, of course, because of her attachment, becomes the loner holdout. She's the only resident of this building. The construction company then starts trying to uh, sort of coerce her, as it were. As in, they they hire out apartments for orgies and... uh, 
They, oh. Yeah, they yeah. they cover the staircases in feces so that attracts flies, and there's there's vandalism and burglary and uh, intruders. There's loud parties. There's all sorts to try and get her out of this apartment, and she basically has to find the sort of strength within her. As she's because she's older in years, she's she's looking to sort of quieten down, but her own temperament is sort of taking her over, and she's it, she's trying to muster up the aggression needed to basically stand her ground and you know see this construction company off, but it's never quite going to happen. Uh, we don't have a clip, obviously, because it's all in Brazilian. So, it's, ah. would that be Spanish? Be Spanish in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. <clears throat> um, right, so I'm just going to say, it's phenomenal. It is absolutely <clears throat> fantastic. This is a film that's two hours and 26 minutes long and feels about 95 it flies it, by. It flies by. It's one of those films that addresses the criticism that there are no films for older women. It is. Um, by you know giving you a sixty-five-year-old character played with such absolute fearlessness by Sonia Braga that you you can't take your eyes off her. It's sublimely directed. It's really really well written. <clears throat> it is. It, it ends with the single most prominent middle finger you could stick up at the end of any film. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a middle finger the, the likes of which you haven't seen since the, since the Mist ten years ago, uh, as far as endings go. Um, it has a, an admirable approach to female sexuality as well, which I found actually quite uh, quite jarring. In terms of the modern box art, in terms of the modern multiplex, it were I found it quite jarring. I was like, "This is refreshing to see." I'm glad this is actually being done. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed. it. I loved the heck out of it. It sounds like you liked it. Like I really, deal. really liked it. I, I expected nothing going in. I kind of went in cold. Yeah, and you know it's it's that Brazilian movie. You know, it just happens to share a name with the David Duchovny TV series. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I walked in singing the the song from the end of Forty Year Old Virgin. Aquarius. That's what I thought when I read it. <laughs> it's a shame this won't make the box office top ten next week because that could have been our button, couldn't it? Mm. This is the age of Aquarius. Maybe we should put it in now. Anyway, I tell you what, we'll put it in now. And there, there we are. are. So, um, have you got some film news for us before we yeah. do the top ten? Um, so, Henry Cavill is the Superman. The, the Superman, he is. The man of steel. He is the, he is the Superman, yeah. As he's known. Uh, moody Superman, with some people Moody, broody. Moody, yeah. broody, something or other. Yeah, just throw a pie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's Superman. Um, he was also in uh, The Man from Uncle, which I really, really enjoyed. I, I liked was, The Man from I thought he was really good in it. I thought was... Alicia Vikander was the best thing in it. Yes. Hands down. She was great. But... He was good as well. He was, was good. He was, yeah. he was playing a spy, and he's going to be playing another spy in Mission Impossible 6. Did I hear he's going to be the assistant to the director of IMF? Yes, who is Alec Baldwin. Last time we checked, he was Alec Baldwin. I'm hoping he's returning. It's not been confirmed yet. I really yet. wanted to come back. I do. Please come back, Alec. <laughs> what, what was it that he described Ethan Hunt as? <laughs> as the manifestation of destiny. <laughs> the manifestation of destiny. It's a manifestation of destiny. I feel like if there is if there is any sense of humour in Tom Cruise whatsoever, in his capacity as the producer of this series, he must take to IMDb immediately and retroactively change the name of his character in all the all the uh, MI movies to Ethan speech marks yeah. manifestation of destiny, destiny Hunt. Hunt. Like, so Alec Baldwin can still say now. Where's Hunt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, oh just man, I want to watch that again. That film was really great, and I will have some side news to this as well. Go on. Um, turns out that Tom Cruise has been training for a year for one stunt. I'm so curious to see what the what hell is that is. Because they've now 
decided to just do this thing where they're just going to like keep up and be answer with the one big stunt of the film. So in number four, it, it was works. it was the Burj Khalifa, mm-hmm. the last film hanging off a airplane. <laughs> yes, indeed, mid flight. Uh, what was the one in the third movie? Was it the the bridge running? You think? Bri- yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty big one. But the um, second one, pretty much the entire movie. It was just um, probably just uh, being with John Woo. I found, wasn't it the rock climbing sequence at the very beginning? Oh, yeah, that, was, that was his big stunt. That was his big stunt. Yeah, <clears throat> and then yeah. the first woman is the first one is the uh, the descent into Langley. Surely. Oh yeah, it must be. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got um, one of my stunt. favorite ever jokes <clears throat> in The Simpsons uh, concerns yeah. John Woo. John Woo. Um, yeah, and Homer is. Um, He's talking to Artie Lang, I think, mm-hmm. uh, when Marge is going out with, with Artie Lang. Yeah. He said uh, there'll be no uh, misdirected woo. That's <laughs> yes. pretty much any John Woo film. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> it is weird, in hindsight, how Mission Impossible 2 has become the most ridiculed one of the series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whereas Time was, it was the first one. But, uh, yeah, weird, we weird change. Shall we uh, start, start the box office top ten very quickly this week? Let us begin. Okay. Number ten. Hidden Figures. Uh, I loved it. You loved it, I believe, as well. Not loved it. You I, liked it very much. I liked much. it very much. It was it was a good two, t- uh, two hours. It was. It, it was, was a good time. Yeah, joyous enough. Uh, family I said, friendly. I said two towers. Two, two towers? I think you said two towers. You meant to say two hours. Yeah. I mean, two towers is a good. Two, two towers, towers is a great two towers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as two towers go, it's, it's my favorite. My favorite two towers movie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, but hidden figures very close second. It is, but yeah. it's also the help. In space. space! Number nine. Uh, Moonlight. So this is all just going to be um, Herschel Ali films. Yeah, for yeah just, the top that's, 10. that's it. That's yeah. totally all Herschel Ali films. Uh, when is he getting, getting his inevitable action thriller role? That's that's what I want to know. Oh, soon. That, that's totally good. He's going to get his Taken. That's what it is. He needs his, oh, like his own Bourne. Yeah. Like, it's going to be something like Taken, <sighs> Bourne, uh, uh, John that. Wick, something like that. He's going to have something well, like that. Well, he's got uh, a film called Triple Frontier coming out. Which, is that Western? Um, is it a western? I don't know. All I, I know is it's going to have Channing Tatum and... He's attached to a western down the line. I know that one. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure if that's not it. Offhand. But yeah, Moonlight. Moonlight is great. Looks is great, great. Looks great. Plays great. Uh, acting's great. Everything about it is great. Um, the Oscar that sits upon the shelf of Barry Jenkins, that too is very great. Number eight. Zimar Moulin Rouge. I have a confession to make. I have never seen Moulin Rouge. Don't ever say that to my wife. I, I, I apologise, I will never, ever say that to your Have wife. Have you really never seen it? I've never seen it. Do you know what? We don't do musicals in my house. But, no. uh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, I mean, the fact that I liked La La Land is a small miracle. But uh, yeah, Secret Cinema is huge. I hear very good things about this one. They weren't allowing press access to uh, this this round of Secret Cinema uh, because they were trying to keep the secrecy intact. But uh, if the 28 Days Later one that I went to is anything to go by, this must be amazing. Number seven. Sing. You sound like you're commanding me. <laughs> sing, monkey, sing. <laughs> sing, monkey, sing. Uh, it's on the way out, um, because presumably there's a lot of uh, big films to come now. I mean, um, not not to give a game away too early, but there is a certain family film. Yes. But, um, I mean, just just God help you if you were a family film out at the same time. <laughs> with this you don't stand a chance, do you? Uh, no, Sing is it's very likeable, but I think at this stage it, it's... On its way straight to DVD now. It's, where it's had legs. It's been out for eight, eight weeks and it's still there. So. Eight weeks. I mean, it's got to have made a good 50 mil by now, surely. Yeah. Number six. Uh, Viceroy's House. Uh, if it could settle on which audience it wants, I'm sure that audience would like it very much. Um, as it is, it can't decide if it wants the Downson audience, if it wants the best exotic audience, if it wants the, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's all over the place. And I can't decide if it's a political movie, or if it's a romance movie, or if it's an upstairs, downstairs movie. 
And you come away from it all thinking, I kind of wanted better from a subject matter this important, really. I mean, the partition of India is not really something to be taken lightly. And you know, given the historical significance of it, given the number of deaths involved in it, given how traumatic a time in global politics it is, I mean, this is something that, you know, contributed directly to the demise of the British Empire. And yet, here it's treated as this jovial, pip-pip, cheerio, kind of a, kind of a you know, Downton comedy. And... Well, you know, Julian Anderson's all right, isn't it? With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, where to next? California, I think, is where Chips is located. California, no doubt about it. Okay. There we go. So, CHIPS, which, for the the unfamiliar, is an abbreviation for the California Highway Patrol. Is, is the S short for anything? Like service? Or... I don't know. I, I always thought that the S was implied. I think, I think the S is implied. Yeah. Right, so this is written and directed by Dax Shepard. It also co-stars Shepard and his wife, Kristen Bell, uh, otherwise known as the only interesting thing about Dax Shepard. And uh, this is obviously an adaptation of the, the, the popular seven, the cult classic 1970s uh, TV show of the same name, which starred Eric Estrada and the other dude no one ever remembers. Does anyone remember who the other dude was? No, it's just a blonde guy. Just the blonde dude and Eric Estrada. That, that's how we remember Chips. And that was it. They, it was their adventures, you know, on the road as California Highway Patrolmen. And now you've got the movie adaptation, <clears throat> which has sort of tweaked the formula slightly. It's gone down more of a jump street route. And the idea here is the Eric Estrada character is now played by Michael Pena. Mm. So Mickey Pens is back. Mickey the Pens. And uh, he's, he's just, you know, the same sort of look in his eyes, goatee, leather jacket look that he rocks. <laughs> like Ant-Man. In, yeah. um, in, in most films. And in this version, he is an FBI agent who's sent undercover as a member of the Highway Patrol to investigate a series of robberies that has spilled into a massive action sequence at the very beginning Mm. of the film. I listened to an interview with Dak Shepard, who said that the reason why he's an FBI agent, Mm -hmm. like... That was solely a move so they could get fancier bikes in this film. Yes, it, it, and that it, yeah. it is a plot point. They do actually make the point that they spend $48,000 on bikes. That does become yeah. a thing. And it's in the Red Band trailer. They show you the moment quite prominently. Uh, but, of course, the whole crux of this is that uh, Dak Shepard's character is a washed-up, uh, like, extreme sports, X-Games-type biker. Mm. And, you know, the guy, they, they drive up the, the the sandy mounts and do backflips on bikes in the air yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but, of course, he's so injured that uh, he's been out of work. The only work he can now find is as a motorcycle cop, even though he's not terribly good at it. And these mismatched cops have to uh, work together to take down the big bad, played by Vinny D'Onofrio, who, I'm going to be really honest... Not one, not one critic at the screening I went to could actually tell us by the end of the film what his evil scheme was. And I mean, you, you suggested he was trying to militarise police officers. Because if Jurassic Park has anything to go by, yeah, yeah. that's his plan. And my, my response to you was it genuinely could be that. Might as well be. It, yeah. it might as well be no one would have noticed. Here is a clip of uh, Dak Shepard's interview for his, his graduation, his, his police graduation. None of these aptitude scores meet even the lowest standards for graduation. In fact, most of the disabled cadets scored much, much higher. They did? Yeah, even in marksmanship. Well, I I don't doubt that. I mean, disabled folks are doing a ton these days. Look at that Olympic runner with no legs. He killed his girlfriend, even, you know? Not that that's an accomplishment, but still, it's impressive in its severity. And then there is your physical. Mm. You've had... 
23 surgeries? Yeah, I've had, um, you know, feet, uh, ankles, knees, uh, shoulders. And I have a titanium humerus from, like, here to here. It's pretty cool. Oh, I bet. I yeah. Get well, you can ride a motorcycle. I'll give you that. Yes, ma'am. Dak Shepard and Maya Rudolph there. Um, right, you might have vaguely chuckled at that clip. I don't think you did. Um, I didn't. No, I did well, not. funnily enough, there wasn't a single laugh in the screening for this. Hmm. I think I scoffed once at a callback gag involving Adam Brody. And even then, every time I saw Adam Brody in this film, I just flashed back to when he starred opposite Bradley Whitford in the... Was it the other the Nice Guys or the other guys? His cop series that he did a couple of years ago. Do you remember? Was about Adam Brody? Because I thought that was Colin Hanks. Oh, God, yeah, I'm confusing the two. I'm all over the place today. But even so, it's nice that uh, Bradley Whitford is back in the show again. Bradley Whitford is back. Welcome back, Bradders. Yeah. Well, he might be in the top ten later. Possibly, we don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I'm getting Adam Brody and, and Colin Hanks confused. But they're, they're both, like, white bread. Yeah, guys, but I mean, yeah. Adam Brody's more likable than Colin Hanks, surely. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Although only one appeared in an episode well, it's of Happy Seth, Endings. isn't it? It's Seth. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, Seth, Seth Cohen, man. Yeah. Anyway, um, the film isn't funny. Um, it, it's it, it just drags like you wouldn't believe. You do not laugh. The the script does not make a lick of sense. The the characters are unlikable. The humor is so ill judged, ill advised, and just ill fitting to any sentient human audience. That you come away from. I mean, for instance, there was a recurring gag about. Uh, in fact, not even a recurring gag. This is an actual character trope. Michael Pena's character trope, his character arc in this movie, <clears throat> is to overcome sex addiction. Yes, and I also heard about that from Dak Shepard in the same interview, and he said that that was a play on the fact that in the show, Ponch is like a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. So in this, it's gone the other direction, and he's a sex addict. Yeah, it's not funny, it doesn't quite work. And I'll be honest, the only thing that I really took away from the film, other than the fact that no one left, was the, the fact that I've now seen Malcolm in the Middle's mum naked. Which is not something I ever expected. I'm assuming it was a body double. Yes, Jane. <laughs> yeah. And as I said last week, was married to Bradley Whitford. <laughs> was married to Bradley Whitford. Wow. Brothers is really getting into this show, isn't he? He's just embedding himself in our DNA. <laughs> oh, sorry, our BNA. But, um, you know. It's uh, it's something you're best off avoiding. It feels like the ultimate penance for that joke that kicked off Charlie's Angels 17 years ago when you had a cameoing LL Cool J mocking a made-up TJ Hooker movie. I can't believe it was 17 years ago. That was ago. 17 years ago. You remember the joke when he said, yeah. oh, not another movie based on an old TV show? Yeah. And you look at Chips and you think, yeah, that joke has now actually become a reality. It's a movie that features... At the very end, a cameo by Eric Estrada, an actor known solely for chips and nothing else, a show that hasn't been on the air in 40 years, and you're watching it thinking, presumably the only audience then that would recognise him would be in their 60s, mm. and you'll never was, ever... Was, was chips even a big thing in this country? It, I don't think it really, really it appeared really over off, here. Yeah. Well, it was a very low-level cult thing. Um, but you certainly think no one in their 60s, in their right mind would sit through this movie. They would have turned it off in the first ten minutes. Frankly, I'm amazed Nigel Andrews didn't walk out in the middle of it. And that's usually my barometer of a terrible movie, but he stuck this one out. Um, I took away from it a renewed purpose in life, that if I ever discover there is to be a big screen adaptation of Knight Rider, I am to hunt down the producer and wallop him across the face. I'm um, sure that was in development at one point. Ben Affleck was attached at one point, and then we got that god-awful series with Val Kilmer as the car. And... Let's just never speak of it again. 
oh, let's never speak of chips again. I mean, I'd be amazed if this if this even makes the top ten. It's one of those that's clearly going about number nine, eight or nine in the top ten next week. But it, and that's all it deserves. It's it's truly abhorrent. It's also got a very vicious homophobic streak as well. That just it it it's so awful to sit through. Yeah. It really. Is. If you've seen the 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 gag in the trailer about uh, the face planting the other guy's crotch. Imagine that just done over and over and over and over again. It's just it's it's just not very good. It's not what I need. It's not, it's not at all. Cheer me up with some news, Case. Come on. Oh yeah, some news. Um Alright, we're gonna get to Beauty and the Beast soon. Yeah, yeah we are. But let's talk about it a little bit now. Okay. Because it's now been leaked that I mean, of course, because money. <laughs> Disney are considering a Beauty and the Beast spin off or prequel. Okay. Um I'm curious what that would involve, but... Uh... Because, of course, there are animated straight-to-DVD sequels of the animated film. Doesn't the sequel take place in the middle of the first movie? Yeah, it's a sidequel. A sidequel, it's like the Enchanted it? Christmas or something, isn't it? Yeah. Because he's still a beast, and, like, Lumiere's still a candle, and Cogsworth's still a clock, and... Yeah, I'm not sure it's that one or the second sequel, because there's, there's three. Oh, there was, there was, there there was three more altogether. than one sequel. And in one, Tim Curry plays a bad guy. Oh, um, man. The, the, se- the third film is... Trash. Oh, okay. It's a trash film. Um, but yeah. It's a garbage film. Uh, it is a garbage, garbage film for garbage people. <laughs> Can we just refer to those as double G's from now on? Yes. Yeah, garbage film. G's. Garbage. Yeah, yeah double absolutely. G's. But um, I would not be surprised if Disney made another film based on that. Because if it did a prequel, we could focus on... Dan Stevens. And Dan and, Stevens' yeah. character and that that was popular. If it's a spin-off, there's enough character. We could do something just about LeFou. If, you know, if some countries want to want to show a potentially gay man, they can go I feel and do that like if they wish. We could get a potential Huntsman style spin off here in which it's Gaston and LeFou at war. Oh, but fighting in the amazing. war together and you know, band of brothers. And... I just want to see Maurice with some inventions. That'd be, that'd <laughs> He's be not an inventor there anymore, though, is he? That's a good... I do like that she is. She's the kind of the inventor. Yeah. He's an artist. He's a straight up artist. He's straight up artist. Yeah. I like that twist on it. <clears throat> well, since we've talked about Beauty and the Beast, then, should we finish the box office top 10? Because we all Let's know where to it. it's going to be. Number five. Darkness. No parents. Beauty and the Beast. I have a Lego Batman movie. Technically, the Beast doesn't have parents around. Um, <laughs> the castle yeah. is very dark. <clears throat> However, the same film. Oh yeah, totally the one and the same. Uh, Lego Batman, though, it's so funny, isn't it? It's so yeah, it's funny, nice. cleverly written. Mm. And it's it's kind of charming. It's got a great cast. It's got probably the best. Ba- well, it's got easily the best Batman you're going to see on screen this decade. And uh, oh no, no, because we did have one Christian Bale movie, didn't we? This decade, uh, so 2012, yes, we, did, we had yeah. one. Yeah, so that's technically wrong, then. And you you are going record as saying that Dino Rises is superior to BBS. Oh, you think? You think Dollar Rises might be better than, than, than Batman Superman? I was asking you. Perish the thoughts. I, I can't imagine what kind of an academic argument you could make for that one. Um, but yeah, this is a great Lego movie sequel slash spin-off, sidequel. What, what do you want to call this one? Sequel, um, spin-off? Successful cash-in. Successful cash-in. You know what? Triumphant cash-in as well. Number four. Speaking of which, Logan. Great ending to a great series, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I say great series. <laughs> Let's forget Origins ever existed. Yeah, and um, the Wolverine was good. Yeah, the Wolverine was perfectly fine. Um, and then this was good. like, holy 
what? Yeah, this is holy buckets. This is amazing. Except they wouldn't say buckets in this film. They drop about nine f bombs. Give you a c bomb. They would, for good they, they would say they would definitely say buckets, but the first letter would be different. Yeah, it would. <laughs> and then they'd slash you across the face for good measure. It's hard art. It is gritty. It's grizzled. It's incredibly unflinching and it's just sheer viciousness and you know what i absolutely loved it it is the perfect superhero ending number three good out yes <laughs> amazing i thought I, you'd like that you i'm Simpsons so nut. i'm so uh, i've already mentioned simpsons uh, twice today I'm so happy with how much money this has made how much money has this made this has made 2.1 million what is the film of course if you can't get it from our button get out get out which you've seen now as well i saw it yesterday um yeah I was waiting until my birthday, and I was sure sure that someone was going to ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. Went out for lunch prior to the film, yeah. and I could hear next to me, the table next to me, there was a guy asking his friend, have you seen a film called Get Out yet? And I was like, no, 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 no. You're about to spoil it. I'm about to see it. Don't you dare. This <laughs> and, happened um, to me in the Cineworld Starbucks before Rogue One. But, uh, yeah. I did not have it spoiled for me. You didn't? Oh, excellent. Which okay. was the best. It was, yeah. So go on, give me, give me how, give me your take. How good is Get Out? It is everything I wanted it to be, and more, and more. Pretty much says everything that I wanted it to say. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, I always thought that John Peel had this level of a film, like this quality of a film, kind of in him. But I never thought it was going to be a horror. It's the fact that it so brilliantly fuses the horror and comedy aspects. Well, that's that's what we're it's saying. It's not a comedy, but it's very funny. Yeah. After we seen the film, we were saying that it's such a fine line between comedy and horror. Mm-hmm. Just, just in general, like really good horror films can sometimes be made by very funny people. It's true, isn't it? It's surprising yeah. how much more invested you become because like of the humor. John John Landis is hilarious and makes amazing horror films. It's just strange, isn't it? That's actually a very good comparison point for this. There you thinking are. about it, but yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, I really enjoyed him in it, and of yeah. course, our man Bradders, our man Bradders, our man Bradders, who's a silver just, fox now. I know. And Catherine Keener, who's brilliantly creepy, and Alison Williams, who gets to surprise you a little, and uh, Caleb Landry Jones, the whitest yeah. man in America. He really is. He really that is. Isn't weird mustache he just, has. He's just twitchy, isn't he? Yeah. I imagine um, at night when sleeping, he just twitches. Um, also, uh, Lakeith Stanfeld, who was in uh, Short Term 12. Yes, he, yes, he was. He plays one of the most interesting parts in the film, I think. As it well. is a genuinely fascinating film. It's, it, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, God, don't let anybody spoil it for you. No, no, no. If anyone tries to spoil it, slap it, slap them, burn the building down and flee. That, <laughs> that's, that's the best advice we can give you. In, on which note... Number two. It's on my con. Oh, my con. <laughs> Took me a moment there. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Kong Skull Island, which I quite liked. I mean, it's a good old-fashioned 50s-style monster B-movie made with, you know, modern modern effects and a, a sort of sizable budget. Um, Jordan Voigt-Roberts, a very triumphant directorial, uh, directorial gig here, um, does manage to work within the confines of the established Godzilla universe, but he does manage to do his own thing as well. The period setting's quite clever because it allows him to this whole Iraq parable. The idea of the, you know, sort of the failed army withdrawal kind of a thing. Mm. The idea, they've not particularly failed, but they're withdrawing in sort of disgrace. And he manages to establish his Iraq parable with Vietnam, of all things. Uh, John Goodman is, you know, he's he's still got it. John C. Riley still got it. So, of course, it's all about the Johnnies. And, uh, and in, in a week when Chuck Berry died as well. 
I know. I know. Johnny be good, man. Yeah, Johnny be good. Uh, in this case, both Johnnies be very, very good. Uh, it's just a shame Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson get saddled with sort of nothing roles. And uh, got tight, tight tops, haven't they? Yeah, and yeah. They, they both got nicely fitted clothes. That, mm. That's basically it. That's the best thing. You she could looks take. very lovely in an impractical white vest, and he fills out a set of very fitted trousers well. And uh, and there's a monkey mm. in there as well. Keeps things low key. Number one. The hour. Guest, be our guest. Put ourselves to the test. Tie your napkin around your neck, Sherry. Uh, so <laughs> French. <laughs> what did you think of Hugh McGregor's accent, by the way? I was all right with it. I wasn't particularly uh, put off. It's very goofy, isn't I it? I think it was because, obviously, that trailer came out so long ago, the first one, when he's like, maybe she's the one. Yeah. Where, he, where he says that, but I was kind of like, oh, this is how it's going to be. So I had, like, months to kind of mm. prepare for it. I think if I'd not seen the trailer, I'd be like... What? <laughs> Apologies for accidentally cutting you off there, by the way. It's okay. Don't you fuss about it. Uh, but yes, Beauty and the Beast, you've seen it now as well. I think you liked it but didn't love. Is that right? Yeah. No, I, mm. I, I didn't expect to love it. I just wanted it to be like maybe three, 3.5 out of yeah. 5, and that's kind of where it falls for me. No, that's fair. That, that's absolutely yeah. fair. I wanted I wanted Gaston and LeFou to steal the show. That's what happened. That does absolutely I wanted happen. like the few small things that can be altered, altered, and they were. Did like, you see what I meant about way. filling in the sort of plot hole elements? Yes. Yeah. So I feel like that was done really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd call Just, it, I'd call I, it a I think, I think it's as successful as it could have been, to be honest. Absolutely. I, 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 I personally was quite swept away with kind of how enchanting it was. Uh, obviously more so than yourself, I think. But uh, no, I, I, I really loved it. I will be their guest many, many times yeah. to come. Oh, I'm going to see it again. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm gonna say I'm 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 in line for the Blu-ray, you know, first day that's on sale. With the latest film news and reviews. This is off screen. The on screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So Mr. Allen, what time is it? Uh it is morphing time. Yes, Power Rangers is finally here. Um, you see, this falls into the category that we were already joking about in Chips. Oh, look, another movie made out of an old TV show. <laughs> Only this time it's a TV show that's, what, 23 years old? I guess 23 yeah. or 24. And it's already had a movie as well. It's already had, it's had a couple had two, of movies. Yeah, two, two theatrically released movies. Lest we forget. Uh, one, well, the first one, got a nice trailer this week as well. Yes, it um, did. Right, so this time we've got Dean Israelite, the director of uh, Project Almanac. Was that mm. the one? Project Dominate was the time, the travel, time one. travel one. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's about an, an, an Earth to Echo confused. Yes, I do. Yeah. Who was that to Echo? Now I can't remember. He didn't. That guy do uh, the Turtles film. Yes, he did. Yeah. And I forget his name. That's right. Um, right. So this obviously is going more down the chronicle route. This is five mismatched teens who discover some ancient power coins that basically turn them into superheroes. They then discover an alien craft featuring a disembodied head named Zordon, who is, of course, a former alien warrior known as a Power Ranger who had these power coins to begin with. He and his robot butler, as it were, Alpha 5, <laughs> best way to describe him, and yeah. the butler is certainly played <laughs> by Bill Ada, um, train said teenagers in martial arts over the course of what seems to be a weekend, just in time for another former ranger, Rita Repulsa, the ex-Green Ranger who betrayed Zordon and resulted in him being imprisoned in the ship in the first place, uh, to return from her watery tomb to try and take over the world with the aid of a giant, uh, what do they call it, like kaiju-type monster called 
called Goldar. And of course, it falls to the Rangers to make their presence known in the world, take on Rita Repulsa's army, and unleash their own would-be kaiju monsters. They've basically got Jaegers, as it were. Um, We have a clip of the sort of somber dramatics going on in this movie. My house is on the other side of the mountain. I hike these trails sometimes, clear my head, and I stare down at Angel Grove and wonder how such a small town could cause me such misery. (laughs) That funny to you? I just, I feel the same way. Yeah, Jason Scott, star quarterback, crashes and burns, destroys his career and destroys our season. Go Tigers. Yeah, now I walk around town and everyone's looking at me like I ran over their dog. So why don't you leave? You know, just go. I could leave here, you know. Where? Got it, anywhere. So let's go. (laughs) What? You'd never do it. Try me. Oh, you and me? You got a car? I have a van. Oh, that's creepy. (laughs) It's not that kind of van. Every van is that kind of van. Naomi Scott and Dacre Montgomery there as... As the uh, the pink and red rangers, as it were. Um, right. So here's the issue with this one. There's three. There's three kinds of people going into this movie. Um, people who know and love the Power Rangers, people who know of but don't particularly care about the Power Rangers, and people who have no idea whatsoever. The problem is, not one of those three groups is going to come out of this film truly happy. Um, tonally, it's all over the shop. It is too silly for the adults. It's kind of too goofy for the teenagers, mm. and it's too dark for kids. I mean, at the screening I was at, we had a couple of young children in there who were genuinely terrified of Elizabeth Banks, like, actually had to be taken Pretty out scary. to the toilets. She's mm. actually scary to kids. Um, the problem is you've got 95 minutes of a Chronicle sequel. Like a, It feels like a direct-to-DVD Chronicle sequel. And then you've got this half hour of Spidey meets Pacific Rim, which is what this always needed to be anyway. I mean, are you... I, I forget, how familiar are you with Power Rangers as a franchise in general? I mean, um, Yeah, fairly. 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 I was yeah. a fan when it was out, when it started in the, in the mid-90s. But Me too. I, it's not something I've ever revisited, really. No, I've seen yeah, the movie, I, I remember but... being a fan when I was six. Mm. And that... That was kind of God, we have an age gap. Mm. <laughs> you don't realise. We forget most of the time. But uh, no, it's it's not something that you revisit as a franchise, really. It's sort of, mm. you had it and it's kind of done. And there was a, a point when Netflix added them all a couple of years ago when you kind of checked out one or two episodes out of Morbid Curiosity, but that's it. Um, the, the problem is everything about this is just too dour. Uh, I mean, I, I genuinely coined the phrase "woe, woe, dour strangers" about this one, but uh, it, it just feels like if this if this was done just as a new show, mm. like like a CW show, maybe like The Flash or Arrow. Yes, it would have worked an awful lot better. The yeah. cleverest thing about it, actually, is by fixating on the alien root, on the alien origins of the Power Rangers, they have finally succeeded in taking this series into full-blown superhero territory. And it, to be fair, it does need that. Now, I have issues with a couple, with two, two specific characters in it, namely R.J. Siler, who, put, to be fair, delivers the absolute best performance in the film. Hmm. Uh, hands down, but there are very problematic issues with his character, specifically if you know the lineage of this series and the Blue Ranger, because there's one very important historical note about that character, and then of course there is a bit of marketing hoo-ha going on regarding the Yellow Ranger being the first LGBT superhero, which for the second time in a fortnight turns out to basically be a tease. And I'm getting kind of annoyed by this now. It's, I mean, last time we basically got Smithers out of Disney, mm. and now we've got an edgy alt girl, 
which would be about the best way to describe her. Um, I say it is dour, it is somber. Only uh, Brian Cranston, Bill Hader, and Elizabeth Banks seem to be aware that they're actually in a Power Rangers movie. <clears throat> the rest of it all is Chronicle Light. On the spectrum between Chronicle and Fanforstic, this sits on the lower end of the middle spectrum, I'll be honest. Um, fans might very very faint praise very faint praise the actual diehard fans might get just enough out of this to justify the ticket price but I think they are going to be putting in a visible mental effort to to justify that Hmm. but are you interested in seeing this? no I don't know (laughs) I I am but I'm not going to rush out to see it I'm going to wait for it to come to me I I couldn't figure out if this is something you actually would go out and see Uh, no if, if I had a free ticket or if someone wanted wanted me to go with them mm. and were willing to buy me a ticket and also maybe buy me like a can of some kind of soft beverage. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah, I'd be up for it. Well, in which case we should uh, we should wrap this up for this week because obviously Power Rangers that's not going to be our film of the week. Um, no, and it damn sure ain't going to be chips. Let's be let's be really honest on that one. I wonder what it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to give it to Aquarius because I I was a very big fan of Aquarius actually. Um, but uh, yeah, next week we've got some uh, some interesting stuff as well. Um, next week we've got uh, what's the biggie next week? Hang on, next week we've got free fire next week because yes, your lady's we back. Yes, be awesome. Yeah, you, you, hopefully she gets more to do this time than some jungle photography. Uh, she definitely shoots some people, so that's good. That's that's good. To, isn't the whole movie set in a warehouse shootout? Yeah, excellent. It's got such a good cast. Can't well. that. Uh, Man down with Shia LaBeouf. That's next week. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, graduation, that's next week. The Void, the John Carpenter looking horror movie, that's oh, next week. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we've also got we've got Zip and Zap of the Marble Gang. I have absolutely no expectation for that. We have uh, Fear Eats the Soul. We have the latest attempt to bring the Smurfs to the big screen. And, uh, well, perhaps the most noticeably, no notably next week, uh, Ghost in the Shell. With yeah. Scott, with Scott that might be the biggie, I guess. I think, that, I think that's big. I think Free Fire is going to steal most of the attention, though. I think so. But then again, I did think that about High Rise, and I was woefully wrong. I wish more people had seen High Rise. It was so good. I liked it. It was really I good. I liked it. So, um, yeah, we've got all those to come <laughs> and more next week off screen. Um, remember to vote for us in the uh, British Podcast Awards, and incidentally. We love that. Um, until then, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay. Podcast extra tidbits, Van. Um. Ben. Did you say tidbits or tidbits? I said tidbits, <laughs> but if you want to say tidbits, yeah, whatever. I always love it, because whenever, whenever everyone says that word, it's always fascinating here which which way they go with it. Uh, I've always heard uh, tid. 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 That's, T-I-D. That's, that's I don't know what it stands for. I, I don't either, actually. No. But, uh, Let's it's find like, out. Uh, if you ever go to a Tim Hortons restaurant, they sell tin bits. Oh, tin bits, yeah. Yeah, and uh, tin bits. Tim, Which tin is just bits, like right? little donuts, aren't they? They're donut holes. Little donut holes. Yeah, they're the filling for the donut holes, <sighs> and uh, they're awesome. They are absolutely awesome. I, do, do we come with like like icing? Oh, you get like, like dip, you get little, little yeah, you get like uh, frosting dip. Yeah, yeah, I eat my body weight in them in Dubai oh once. I have to get some more cinnamon rolls. But, uh, <laughs> got those downstairs. They were awesome. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Uh, okay, so, um, news, me sir. News. So uh, last week or maybe a week before, I told you that David Harbour is the latest person being lined up to play Cable, and now 
Michael Shannon is the latest person being lined up to play Cable. Good God. Deadpool Have they approached you yet? Because they're approaching everyone, it seems. I feel like I'm next on the list. I mean, you do go Michael Shannon, Ben Case Allen, obviously. <laughs> That's absolutely it, yeah. That's how it works. And, uh, yeah, I just want them to cast it already, because I feel like they're just going to go to all these great actors, it's going to fall through, and then we're going to end up with, like, Eddie Redmayne or Mark Rylance. Oh, good God. N- not ready, Edmayne. Not I mean, ready, Edmayne. No. He creates life. <laughs> and takes it away. Is that the line? I can't remember. I can't think of like an older, uh, older actor that I don't particularly like, apart from Mike Rounds. Older actor you don't particularly like? Who, who would fit Cable, but no. also wouldn't be bad. See, if I asked Alan this, he'd say Michael Caine, because that's his answer to everything bad, is Michael Caine. But, uh, Michael Caine's not having a great time. He's not. He's not. Oh, no, he's, he's not. I heard. Yeah, that, yeah. that was very sad. That was yeah. sad. I was, yeah. I was quite sad. I feel like he was just having a really miserable week and was just lashing out the press. It seemed like it, yeah. But, uh, yeah, did a bit. Um, can I talk about another mother's son real quickly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'll just set this one up real quick. Um, this is from the director of Remember Summer in February? A couple of years uh, yes. ago. It was yeah. Dominic Cooper and Emily... Emily from Sucker Punch. What was it? Emily Browning. Browning. Emily Browning. Um, yeah. This one is based on... the Allegedly based on the true story yet bears no resemblance to anyone living or dead, and any resemblance is entirely coincidental. That's actually in the production notes, by the way. Um, it stars uh, Jenny Seagrove and Ronan Keating and John Hanna and Amanda Abington. And do you remember the, who's the kid who stabbed Jon Snow in Game of Thrones? You remember? I hated that kid. You hate that kid? Yeah. yeah. You, that's pretty indicative of this movie, because he's in this movie as well. It's okay. That child died in Game of Thrones. Good. Don't worry about Good. it. Good. Because he deserved it, you know, for the watch. But, um... <laughs> which is amazing how personal we all take Game of Thrones, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, this is set in Jersey um, in the 1940s, which I didn't... I wasn't particularly aware of the ins and outs of the story, but uh, the Channel Islands were the only British territory actually overtaken by the Nazis. I did not know the, the ins okay. and outs of that story. I knew that it had happened, but I didn't realise that it was an occupation that went on as long as it did. And, of course, they are they're British residents who have to sort of adjust to life under German rule. Uh, what you've then got is um, a, an, an escaped Russian POW who is taken in by uh, Louisa Gould, uh, Jenny Seagrove's character, and she basically has to keep him from the Nazis whilst at the same time trying to ensure that she and her family don't go without food. But this is all happening at a time when rationing is still in effect and people are settling their skirmishes by effectively informing on one another. So it's it's a ticking clock from every angle. Uh, we've got a clip which perfectly sums this one up. Did you guess to teach you any Russian? Who knew about him? No one knew. And the radio? It was hidden. Mrs. Goldworth. We know people visited you regularly to listen to the BBC. Your brother. Your friend, Miss Fournier, the owner of the property. No, no. Elena never came into the house. She knows nothing. Jenny Seagrove there. And, uh, well, I mean, to, to give her a due, she, she's got uh, very practised lip-quivering, lip, lip I mean, to be fair. Okay. Um, if you saw this across four Sunday nights on ITV... You'd probably think, actually, yeah, really good. It sort of fuses that whole... You know, this resurgent thing we've got with SSGB and the man in the high castle yeah. and this idea of seeing uh, Nazi occupation of, of Western sort of cultures. Um, yeah, it would, it would feed into that, except this obviously has the reality angle going for it. Um, 
I mean, its ambition vastly exceeds its actual quality. It's very televisual. It's brought to us from an EastEnders writer, and it shows... It attempts to mine genuine gravitas out of a performance by A, Ronan Keating, and B, John Hanna. But this way, the fact that it stars Ronan Keating somehow is the least offensive thing about it. The fact that John Hanna somehow managed to, manages to, to, you know, get more life out of a role creating robots in a Marvel series is frankly mind-boggling. It's drab, it's dour, it's uninvolving, it's destined to be shown on ITV. Um, yeah, I just... It's so uninteresting. It really is. Put it this way. The actual term, another mother's son, could very easily be used to describe just some guy. That some your guy. kind of reviews this film for you. It's just some film. That, mm. That's really it. So, you know, over to you. News from me, Mr. Allen. Do you remember a film uh, called Spring Breakers from a few years ago? Oh, I remember. Wasn't that the uh, spring break, y'all? Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was the one. It was the, James Franco was alien. I alien was his name, and he had shorts. He had shorts in every color. <laughs> he had every single color of shorts. So that's <laughs> actually a quoting that's the line of dialogue from it. <laughs> and he also had uh, Scarface on repeat. As yes, well. he did. He had on repeat. He had Scarface on repeat. <laughs> oh man, that movie, it was awful movie, but he was uh, great in it. He was, he yeah. was great in an like, awful, he, awful he movie. He made, he made a choice. Yeah, I was a big fan of Rachel Corinne in that movie, actually. As was I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wife of director Harmony Corinne. Well, apparently there is going to be a TV show version of Spring Break. I guess isn't this for one of the new digital? Yeah, platforms? it's going to be a digital series. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, notion. Mm. But yeah, Harmony Corinne's apparently not going to be involved, is he? No, um, I I didn't hate the film. I thought I thought it was okay. Um, a lot of people didn't like it. I, I didn't. Suppose. I will admit I did not like it. But uh, I did, yeah. but I did like Franco in it. That was the weird contradiction for yeah. me. But uh, you know it happens. It happens. No. Nicholas Cage has been terrible in a bunch of great movies, and he's been you he's know been terrible in some great yeah. movies. So you know. But, uh, That's the thing. Oh, the, the scene in Spring Breakers when he's on the piano playing Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, isn't it uh, Lucky? Is it, isn't it Lucky? Possibly, yeah. I'm sure it's Lucky. But, oh man, we have to rewatch this now. Damn it. Damn you, James Frank. Damn you to Hades. I, I mean, I, I was hoping to rewatch Power Rangers the movie from 1995, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> Do you think you would enjoy it more than the new one? I, I honestly don't know. I want to watch the pair now because only one of them has uh, Trouble by Shampoo on the soundtrack. Uh, as its theme song, so mm-hmm. you know there is that, and also you know the plastic suits, of course, yeah, yeah can't go wrong, and the power of the ninjetti, yo. But uh, what's the next film you want to talk about? Yeah, the next film I want to talk about is The Age of Shadows. Uh, really quick on this one, is this uh, Jiwoon Kim, I believe, or Kim Jiwoon? I can never remember the way, which way around it is. Um, this is Warner Brothers' first fully Korean production. And it is set during the Japanese occupation of uh, of South Korea. It basically centers around the resistance movement in, I think, the 1930s? I think it was the 1930s. Ah, uh, Ji-Woon Kim. It was Ji-Woon Kim. 1920s, sorry. It is about um, the resistance movement trying to turn one of the Japanese... Uh, <laughs> Uh, senior police officers over to their side. It becomes this sort of cat and mouse game as to whether or not he can be trusted and whether or not he will betray the resistance member that he's been teamed with, who's 
basically this low, this you know uh, unassuming antiques merchant, and they have they're, they're collaborating in this this departed like scheme to smuggle explosives in from Singapore that will you know help them overthrow the man as yeah. it were. Um, but anyway, it's a film that will have you coming out wanting to learn the Korean words for Tinker and Taylor. If you follow my drift, right. it is very much John, the, John McCarry. It is. It is the Korean Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I mean, it's great. It drags on a bit, to be fair, but it's great. Um, it's got a big name cameo in, of all people, Byung Hung Lee. He's really? he's he's the big name cameo in this. He turns up two or three times, but he's there in that sort of Sean Connor at the end of Prince of Thieves. Kind of a way, you know. I am the big name he's, star. He's, he's the King John. It's, he's, the, yeah. he's the King John of this particular one. It's got great performances from uh, Yu Gong and uh, Kang Hao Song, and I, I was riveted by it. it was genuine. I mean, it was gripping. It was tense. It was thrilling. I really liked it. I just thought it really went on way too long. Unlike Aquarius, which was just felt like a breeze when you sit and looked at it. Uh, this did feel like it sort of plodded a little bit at times, but. It was fascinating. It did play the whole action thriller period piece espionage card so so well, and I think this is if this is, I think it might be a Curzon movie. I mean, totally worth checking out. Mm. Like really worth checking out. But uh, yeah, so there you go. That, that is the Age of Shadows. Uh, why don't you give me some news? Oh, I can give you some news. Oh, oh, did you hear about the Eddie Murphy thing? Uh, what Eddie Murphy thing? Because he denied it twenty years ago. Um, she was not. <laughs> he was giving her a lift. I know. Giving her a lift. He was giving her That's a lift. He was yeah. Doing. yeah. Uh, no, he. Um, I think his Twitter account was hacked this week. <laughs> his Twitter account was hacked by oh. someone who then took the opportunity to announce that he, Eddie Murphy, was working on coming to America too. <laughs> um, I think they got control of the account back. Eddie Murphy and his people seemed to get wrangled control back of the account and then immediately deleted the tweets. But, you know, once something's out there, it's out there. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> there really is no coming to America too. Where where would we go with that story anyway? I don't know. Like, he's already in America. Like, <laughs> Hang on, no, did he not, re- did not go back to Zamunda? Back to his, he went back to Zamunda, didn't he? Does he? For a long time since I've seen that. So it would, it would be returning to America. That would you be call it. it return to return America. to America. Returning to America. I mean, I'll be honest. I presumably I to it. just like rehash the entire plot of the first film. He needs to go get another wife. <laughs> That's it. He's widowed. He's widowed. He He's widowed. Or, or he's happily married, but <sighs> something's happened to Arsenio Hall. That's so it. So we need That's to get. It. Yeah. Or. Just keep pitching things. Or Arsenio Hall uh, had had a tryst of a night with some lady uh, in the city. Yeah. Um, he's apparently got a child. That's it. They go back to they America. Back, yeah. meet, meet the kid. Good morning, my neighbours. <laughs> hey, f*** you. Yes. F*** you too. <laughs> uh, I need to re-watch I that love film. that movie. Do you know I had that on CDI? CDI. You remember CDI? Uh, no, I'm 28. That was, uh, I think it was Panasonic's uh, attempt to, to pioneer a new home video format about 1994. Mm. They were like precursors to VCDs. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, did was, not work. Yeah, did not work out. <laughs> this is when you had video games like Mad Dog McCree and things like that on, on this this format. Also, the long-fabled Thunder in Paradise game, which Chris Wilson and I will sit and enjoy one of these days. Cool. A Hulk Hogan interactive computer game. Yes, sign, me, sign up. me up. 
Do you want to join us for that night? We're gonna have Absolutely. a whole night. Know. Yeah, yeah. Let me know, brother. Let me know. That's it. I yeah. mean, yeah, we've we've, uh, we've we've got the full series of Thunder in Paradise to get through as well. But, can we then uh, watch uh, uh, Mister Nanny? Only only if it can be doubled with uh, Santa with muscles of and course, Suburban of course. Commando. Yeah, yeah. Because like triple bill, like that. Yeah, I mean, and is that which is that the one where he fights Christopher Lloyd? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> And of course, that scene from Rocky Three. Thunder, Thunder lips. lips. Yeah. <laughs> Let me take a picture of you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, we've, we've all got to tear yellow vests. That's, yeah, that's obviously, the and have really thick blonde mustache. <laughs> How is it they describe him in in uh, in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? His hair is blonde yet silken, like an Asian man. <laughs> And it's true. He does have yeah. very very silken hair. <laughs> Never How made any sense. Does it work? Yeah. Uh, ah, Terry, give us your answers, man. Yeah, but, uh, um, so, so uh, one more piece of news, man. We'll just have we'll just have some reviews and stuff. I mean, do you want me, I, I'll do the eyes of my, my eyes of my mother if you want to save the news, and then we can finish with the autopsy of I'll Jane. S- Dunn. All right, I'll save the news. Okay, uh, eyes of my mother. Then debut film from uh, Nicholas Pence. This is a black and white. We haven't got a clip for this because it's largely silent. This is a black and white, more or less single hander horror film that deals with themes involving incest, cannibalism and serial murder. Rom-com, also, Absolute rom-com. Yep. Also, torture, confinement, Ooh. imprisonment, hostages, mm. child abduction, uh, yep. carjacking, yep. 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 Uh, hiking, night lighting. Are you sure you just didn't see a preview of uh, the Smurfs Lost Village? <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely what happened. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gargamel. <laughs> That's it. I just, I just saw like Papa Smurf, you know, chowing down on the exposed gut of Brainy Smurf, and thought, yes, clearly I know where I'm at now. Um, yeah, this is this stars uh, Kika Mogahe as as the lead. She is. Um, when the movie begins, she's a young girl being raised in an isolated farm by her parents. It is set, I believe, in the U.S., but they are not native. They're not. They're. they're I think they're immigrants. Um, basically, one day, whilst her father is out, they are visited by a travelling salesman who basically takes advantage of their their isolation and murders the mother. The father comes home, catches him in the act, kills him. And then he and his daughter decide, uh, oh no, he doesn't kill her, sorry. They, um, they, they bury the mother, sorry. The killer is then imprisoned in their barn where he becomes the daughter's sole friend and is raised, is raised alongside her over the years, having had his eyes and tongue removed and, and treated like a pet. Years go by, he has basically been treated as sort of a living teddy bear and Basically, his presence and the deteriorating health and eventual death of her father have started to take their toll on her, and basically, well, one monster begets another, if you follow my drift. And it is dark, and it is grisly, and it is very, very intense. It's and it's called the eyes of my mother. It's called the eyes of my mother because I thought it was going to be just some, you thought it was going to be like a drama. touching familial drama. I, I didn't thought you? it was going to be a period piece. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. I mean, mm, check this out. I mean, it is. It's really something. I mean, it's grim as hell, and it may keep you up for a couple of nights. But uh, this is really something as a, as a directorial debut. Hell yes. Mm. This is something. This is like the witch. This is really an impressive thing to come out the gate with. But uh, Kiki Magahe in the lead is just mesmerizing, like love witch lead mesmerizing. 
And yeah, check this out. This is really, really something. But um, yeah, so so what was the news you were saving for me then? Uh, the news it was uh, about Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters them? from last year. <laughs> was that the one with the chicks and Thor? The chicks and Thor. The chicks and Thor. Yeah, yeah. and Bill Murray being killed <laughs> off in a Ghostbusters film. Everything they ever wanted. <laughs> Basically, he has reached the Han Solo goal. Yes, That's exactly. That's really it. What is it with these guys? Yeah, just like I just want to see my most beloved character die. <laughs> even Jeff, even Jeff Bridges came back to Tron and died. That's you a know. good point. <laughs> it's like the, the only way you can come back is if but you I, die. But I feel like that happened because that character was essentially the dude, so he was so munged out hey, of his hey, brain. You're messing with my zen, man. <sighs> it's digital jazz. <laughs> is it digital jazz? It digital jazz. Yeah. It's digital jazz, man. <laughs> Incredible. That is just him all the time now. I'm it, pretty sure. It is. I... I I've said it before. I said it last week. I love when he was inducting John Goodman into the yeah. Walk of Fame, and he said he's a good actor, he's a good man, he's John Goodman. That is literally the best speech you've caught for John Goodman. That really is. So That's how you introduce John Goodman. But um, my news uh, is about Ivan Reitman. He's an old man as well. He's yeah. an older gentleman. Um, he's, he's a right man. He is a right. He is the right man. <laughs> <laughs> Father of the Jason right man. I feel like we're going down the Nightman, Dayman, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> fight of the Nightman. Master of the, the Sun. Yeah. yeah. Um, he hopes to have a Ghostbusters animated movie. Yeah, he's been working on that. Yeah, in a couple of years, by either 2019 or 2020. Oh, great. Can so, we get the voice we'll of Garfield back to play the Bill Murray role <laughs> next time? <laughs> Is it going to be animated version of the female cast, though, or of the original male cast? I've not said. I would just assume that it's going to be the male cast. I would assume it would be Venkman. And... Or, or a different one, and you just wouldn't have Harold Ramis. Oh, yeah. You just want to have Egon. Hey, maybe this is how they get uh, Channing Tatum and co. to become Ghostbusters. I would have been up for that. Like, honestly, my perfect kind of reboot of a Ghostbusters would have been Channing Tatum, just old some other kind of, like, meathead character who is actually, like... It's essentially, what I want is Chris Hemsworth in the Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah like, I could go I have that. him as being, like, actually one of the Ghostbusters. Someone like Anna Faris. Yep. Bill Hader. Mm. Oh yeah, Bill Hader. In fact, no. What I what I originally wanted, I wanted Bill Hader to be the receptionist. That would totally word, wouldn't it? Yeah. I see. When they started talking about doing a Ghostbusters reboot, my sort of dream for it was basically the supporting cast for the forty year old virgin. Oh yeah, that, that, oh, was, yeah. that was basically my dream Ghostbusters cast. I feel like when when you want to remake something from that time period, so like from the mid eighties, mm. you get those kind of characters. Yeah, you and get those kind of you actors. get those kind of actors, and they could be male or female. When yeah. you get people like like Anna Faris, Amy Poehler, those kind of actresses. Yeah, I mean, I Kate McKinnon worked out, but prior Kate to McKinnon actually did, yeah. prior to actually seeing the film, I did find myself wishing that Kate McKinnon and who's the other character uh, plays Patty. Leslie, Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones. Yeah. I did find myself wishing that was Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. See, but, I, uh, I think Leslie Jones is great. I just did not enjoy him in that film. No, I didn't. I just didn't like, enjoy the character. I found the all... character dumb. Yeah. Yeah. It was a dumb character. It didn't yeah. fit. Because the film, every, outside every, that Every one of her jokes was like... Obvious. I'm, I'm, I'm girl, and I'm black, so they've put me in this position. And I'm uncouth. And I'm uncouth, yeah. Oh, and a bit slobby. Yeah. And a bit rough around the edge. But then, like, okay, we get some it. characters yeah. she plays on SNL, she's amazing. That's it. I've and, seen her do some sterling just, work on yeah. SNL. And her stand-up is incredible. I've never seen her do stand-up, but yeah, she does amazing. some good SNL yeah. stuff. So, yeah, her, her performance in that, unfortunately, not for me, but I don't know if that was particularly her choice. I think it was just... She had to fill a gap in the team. Are say. you loving SNL, by the way, at the moment? 
is the best SNL that we've had for decades. Years, for decades. <laughs> Since Will Ferrell was doing George W. Bush, it's not been this good. If yeah, if there's anything good that has come out of the political climate, it's this. It's there is that, yeah, I gotta give it that. Also, Kate McKinnon, she is owning the show, yo. I think this will be her last season. I she, she's gonna be too big for this and she's gonna, gonna be too big too very big, quickly. Yeah. You said she's got a project uh, with uh, Mila Kunis. Yes, she has. The Spy Who Dumped Me. What is this? Uh, this is about two friends, um, you know, Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis, who discover that the boyfriend that dumps one of them is, in fact, a spy. Of course. And they become involved in his international espionage has, plot. Has, has, has the spy been cast yet? I don't know, but I'm just going to assume it's John Hamm. A standard. Standard John Hamm. Kind of so it? obvious, isn't it? It's yeah. like, hey, it's, it's John Hamm. But, uh, right. Okay, final review of the week then. The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Hmm. Uh, we've actually got a clip for this one, believe it or not. Okay. Um, right, so this is... Uh, do you remember Andre Overdahl? No, great name, though. It is, isn't it? Mm. Uh, he was the director of Troll Hunter. Like, that was his debut. <gasps> yes, of like course. Like six years yeah. ago? Uh, six, seven years ago? Troll Hunter. <laughs> Troll! <laughs> um, well, that American, that American remake never happened. No, sadly not. Everything he's tried to get off the ground since hasn't happened. And what has now happened is he's had six years go by and more or less everyone's forgotten how much of a promising director he used to be. He's now come back with this. It is basically a confined-to-three-rooms horror thriller starring Brian Cox and Emile Hirsch as a pair of father-and-son morticians. Not what uh, coroners, sorry, coroners. Coroners, okay. Um, the, the crux of the film basically begins with a body being found in a, in a house after a massacre. Uh, the police don't know what the hell's going on. It seems like the victims were trying to escape the house rather than someone actually attacking them. Mm. And um, they, the, the body's wheeled into the mortuary one night, and in the, in the course of investigating what killed Jane Doe, because they don't know who she is, mysterious things start to befall them, and I can't really go into it much further other than say, you've had a haunted house movie, you've had a haunted videotape movie, You've even had a haunted website movie. Remember that one? Fear.com. Yeah. Course, yeah. Well, now you've got a haunted corpse movie. A haunted... So, a zombie, then? No. No? No, just just a haunted corpse. Uh, I, I, there's, there's more to it than that, but... Does, I, does it have to be? Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll tell you what. Here is a clip of Brian Cox explaining why you put bells on corpses. What's that for? Make sure he's dead. There used to be a time it was hard to tell a comatose person from a dead one. So coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard it ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. So why do you have one? Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Why do you cover his face? There wasn't much of a face left to cover. Point blank gunshot blast tend to do that. Who shot him? Angle of entry suggests he did it to himself. Until we found strychnine in his system. Judging by the progress it made through his bloodstream, he was already dead by the time somebody blew his face off. Why would anyone do that? Oh, you sound like your boyfriend. Right, so obviously we referred to Emil Hirsch earlier as the real-world answer to Vincent Chase. Actually, he's not bad in this. Um, you know, it's, it's a fairly stock sort of 20-something male lead. You know, not really much going on for him. Yeah. His only definable character trait is, I date a female lover bond. Um, which really only makes him an understandable human. But um, Brian Cox, you know, he's still plugging away, bless him. He's still the Brian Cox we all, you know, love and cherish yeah. from the billion movies he's never gotten the credit he deserves for. 
Um, uh, the biggest star of the film that is Andre Overdahl, who has still got that flair. The film itself feels quite perfunctory. It's very, you know, hit the horror beats, you know, the, the, the typical jump scares that you kind of expect, the usual twists and turns that they're still somewhat surprising, even though you can kind of see them coming. But Andre Overdahl does inject enough ingenuity into how he's framed it all that actually it more or less works. Mm. And it does feel... It feels like a very high-end direct-to-DVD film. And that's kind of where this is going to end. I think it is a sort of limited release and VOD on the same day kind of a deal. But... and. Most people are going to see this on on you know on the small screen, but it is going to I think find its fans largely through the fact that it's from the director of Troll Hunter. Um, but yeah, it's the style of it. Ultimately, it is a haunted corpse movie, and that is one of the most baffling descriptions any film could really have. But you know, it's unique. You got to give it that. <laughs> Because like you had a haunted house, you've had a haunted hotel, you've had a haunted video, you've had a haunted bus, a haunted ship. Remember Ghost Ship? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Juliana Margulies. Yeah, who else is? Uh, I can't remember who else is it. I was going to say Josh Lucas, but isn't he in Poseidon? Josh Lucas was Poseidon. Poseidon yeah, I can't yeah. remember who else was in Ghost Ship. Like two thousand and two. Yeah. Uh, but so. Uh, yeah, so you know, saddle on board for the uh, the haunted uh, haunted corpse movie. But uh, um, I'm all I'm all out. I'm, I'm all, all I'm all, all out too. Ways. So that kind of kind of leaves us. Do you want to do the gong again? Oh yeah. I mean, we got to do the gong, gong again. Yeah. Okay, well, guess what? We're nominated for an award. Please vote for us. On which note, here it is. Your moment of cage. F*** off.